This morning's scripture is, well, we've got two scriptures. The first one is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And then I'll go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And I know that some of you are ready to stand, so let's stand for the reading of God's word. Um, on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, I'm going to read the last sentence of verse 3 to go along with it. It says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Just so you know, the key phrases there are, for Christ's love compels us. And, um, and I've got to find it. Oh, in verse 4 of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, but because of his great love, for us. Christ's love compels us because of his great love for us. I think you can probably tell thematically because of the songs we sang this morning and the title of the message on your, the front of your bulletin that I want to speak this morning to that attitude that comes most quickly, I think, to our minds when we think of what motivates us as Christians. God's love. Christian motivation is unique in that it centers upon the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important in that relationship than our recognition of the love that God has for us. One day, uh, C.H. Spurgeon was walking through the English countryside with a friend and as they strolled along, the evangelist noticed a barn with a weather vane on its roof. At the top of the vane were these words, God is love. Spurgeon remarked to his companion that he thought this was a rather inappropriate place for such a message. Weather vanes are changeable, he said, but God's love is constant. I don't agree with you with, about those words, Charles, replied his friends. You misunderstand the meaning. That sign is indicating a truth. Regardless of which way the wind blows, God is love. I like that. And so I want to begin this morning with this truth. God has loved mankind from the beginning. God has loved mankind from the beginning. 
I think sometimes we have a tendency to think that God's love toward us did not really begin to manifest itself until the coming of Jesus. Up to that time, God might be viewed by many from, his, from the direction of His justice and judgment. God is seen as harsh and eager to punish. We fail to recognize the love of God behind all of His dealings with mankind. In the book of Genesis, we find the account of creation. It is the account of an unfathomable work of love. For the Word says that God is love. God's love desired a willing response. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth so that the very good of His creation, mankind, would have a dwelling place. Then He provided all that mankind needed. A place of beauty, majesty, and intricacy that the, that the greatness of lo- and love of God could be seen in, in all that surrounded us. Think, think of a father expecting a child. And so, in that expectation, in anticipation, they, with their own hands, they build a cradle or a dollhouse or a treehouse or they start a college fund. And they do that because they're motivated by love for that child that will come into their lives. That's God's motivation in creating what He created for our dwelling place on this planet. A place of beauty, a place of provision for us because He loved us. But God's love was rejected. His perfect plan for mankind never to be fulfilled because man failed to respond to God's love in complete trust and obedience. We blew it. And so a separation between God and man has now been created. And so it might be easy to say, well, why didn't God just wipe the slate clean and start over? After all, it wouldn't be that big a deal for Almighty God just to create it all over again. What was the reason? Well, because of God's love covenant with that which He had created. With us who in all of creation have the ability to accept and respond to God's love. It was at the time of Adam and Eve's sin that God's love began to reach redemptively across the separation of His plan for our salvation through Jesus Christ is already in place at the very beginning. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. This verse gives us a sense of God's love commitment to us. Faithful. Keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations. And so now we can begin to follow the path of God's love through the Scripture as He interacts with mankind. Which brings us to this. God's love is revealed in the law. 
God's love is revealed in the law. God gave us the law as an act of love that gave guidelines for God's expectations and standards to a people whose natural inclination was to sin. To go our own way. God, in His love, did not leave His people to wonder what it meant to please or disobey Him. It wasn't a shoot in the dark and hope for the best kind of thing. He gave us His laws so that we would understand the expectations of a loving God. What His expectations were for His people. And how they could respond in loving obedience to Him by keeping His law. You know, um, God created the universe with certain immutable, unchanging physical laws, like the law of gravity. And um, I think most of us, through experience, have figured out how the law of gravity works. I remember a friend uh, that I went to college with. Uh, he and his younger brother decided to build an airplane out of an apple box, you know. They nailed wings onto it and, and a tail, and they took it up on the roof of the house, and my friend talked his little brother into flying it, and they pushed it off the roof, and the law of gravity took over. Well, just as there are physical laws, there are also moral laws in our universe. God created, a holy God created a moral universe. And so he had to tell us, here are the laws of my moral universe. Because we know that if you choose to defy the physical law of gravity, say, I think I'll jump off this ten-story building, that there is a consequence to pay when you get to the sidewalk or the street. And it's the same way with God's moral laws. If we choose to defy God's holy moral laws that are um, built into the system, let's put it that way, there is a penalty to pay. And he didn't want us to pay those penalties. So he said, here are the laws that govern my moral universe. Psalm 33, 5 says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. That's law-keeping. It's the law and we are just. And then it goes on to say, The earth is full of His unfailing love. He wants us to be law-abiding people because He loves us. He does not want us to pay the penalty of breaking His law. Um, interesting this week, how many of you read uh, Our Daily Bread? Good. You've read this then. This will be familiar territory to you. But uh, I prepared this and I was reading this this week and I thought, how good this fits into the point that I'm making here about the law being something that God did in love, the giving of the law. So here's what this author writes. It's called... uh, The devotional is called Free from Frostbite. And she says, On a winter day, my children begged to go sledding. The temperature hovered near near zero degrees Fahrenheit. Snowflakes raced by our windows. 
I thought it over and said yes, but asked them to bundle up, stay together, and come inside after 15 minutes. Out of love, I created those rules so my children could play freely without suffering frostbite. The penalty of being out too long in the cold. I think the author of Psalm 119 recognized the same good intent in God as he penned two consecutive verses that might seem contradictory. First, I will always obey your law. And second, and I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. And then the question, how is it that the psalmist associated freedom with spiritually with a spiritually law-abiding life. Following God's wise instruction allows us to escape the consequences that come from choices we later wish we could undo. Without the weight of guilt or pain, we are freer to enjoy our lives. God doesn't want to control us with do's and don'ts. Rather, His guidelines Show us that He loves us. I don't want you to pay the penalty of jumping off a ten-story building without a parachute or hang glider or whatever would keep you from landing on the sidewalk. While my kids were sledding, I watched them blast down the hill. I smiled at the sound of their laughter and the sight of, and the sight of their pink cheeks. They were free within the boundaries I had given them. This compelling paradox is present in our relationship with God. It leads us to say with the psalmist, Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. They are for our good to protect us. The law was given in love. Then, moving on, we see that God's love is revealed in prophecy. God sent His messengers whose job it was to call people back to Himself. They spoke of the people's failure to obey. They gave warnings of God's judgment and punishment for sin. But always there was God's patience and willingness to withhold judgment if His people would repent and turn back to Him. You know, I'm not sure we always get a sense of God's broken heart as seen in the message of His prophets. Many see only anger, sternness, and punishment. But the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah were living illustrations of the heart of God broken and grieved by His people who would not repent and return to Him. Isaiah 22.4 Therefore I said, Turn away from Me. Let Me weep bitterly. Do not try to console Me over the destruction of My people. Folks, that is the heart of God. Jeremiah 9.1 Oh, that My head were a spring of water and My eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Folks, that is the heart of God. And we see this later then, down the road, when the Messiah has come. Jesus, 
in his sorrow over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, verses 37 and 38. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who uh, the stone those sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. And if you look at the heading over the passage, that passage of Scripture, it says the sorrow of Jesus over Jerusalem. In Luke 19, verses 41 and 42, this is right after the triumphal entry. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, this is speaking Jesus, it says he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. God's heart broken over a sinful people. People who would pay the consequences for breaking His moral law, His holy law. And some, like the prophet Hosea, could identify with love given and yet never return. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the, to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim. I think it was a mistake to marry someone named Gomer in the first place. But And then moving on in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, so Gomer has now left him. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So they turn to idolatry. And yet God is proclaiming His love for them. And then God speaks of His love for His people in Hosea 11, 1-4. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Still, throughout the prophets, God's love solution in Jesus Christ is always there. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 15 through 20 is just one of the many prophecies concerning God's love gift to a sinful people. It says, The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. 
His lo- in His love He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Promises to His people. And those promises were... That's a messianic promise. It's a promise that speaks of what Jesus will do for His people. And God's promises are true. Right? And so the day came when He put on flesh and personally stepped into history. Which brings us to this, God's love is revealed most clearly in Jesus. God's love is revealed most clearly in Jesus. God came in the person of Jesus Christ to deal with the sin problem. I love one of those versions that says he moved into the neighborhood. See, the Scripture tells us that in our sinful state, we're enemies of God. Romans 5.10 For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? In our sinful state, we're enemies of God. God came to His enemies. Colossians 1.21 Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, God in Christ came to His enemies. Frederick Buechner in The Magnificent Defeat writes, The love for equals is a human thing a friend for friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely, and the world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail, to rejoice without envy, with those who rejoice the love of the poor for the rich, of the black man for the white man, the world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured, the tortured's love for the torturer This is God's love, and it conquers the world. See, God's love provided the only solution. And I don't think we can adequately grasp grasp the significance of what it meant for God's Son to put on flesh in all its limitations in order to live among us and then die for us. Our Creator 
did that for us. Because He loved us. Because He loves us. See, He certainly did not and does, does not owe us Himself as the way out of the sin mess that we had gotten ourselves into. But because of His love, Jesus did come. Because of His love, we can glory in the cross of Christ as the ultimate act of love. Because the cross is atonement, it's redemption, it's reconciliation, it's justification, and it's forgiveness made available to us because God loves us. Can I see my baby, the happy new mother asked. When the bundle was nestled in her arms and she moved a fold of cloth to look upon his tiny face, she gasped. The doctor turned quickly and looked out the tall hospital window. The baby had been born without ears. Time proved that the baby's hearing was perfect. It was only his appearance that was marred. When he rushed home from school one day and flung himself into his mother's arms, she sighed, knowing that his life was a succession of heartbreaks. He blurted out the tragedy. A boy, a big boy, called me a freak. He grew up handsome for his misfortune, a favorite with his fellow students. He might have been class president, but for... He developed a gift a talent for literature and music. But you might mingle with other young people, his mother reproved him, but felt a kindness in her heart. The boy's father had a session with a family physician. Could anything be done? Well, I believe I could graft on a pair of, a pair of outer ears if they did, could be procured, the doctor decided. Whereupon, the search began for a person who would make such a sacrifice for a young man. Two years went by. Then, you are going to the hospital, son. Mother and I have someone who will donate the ears you need. But it's a secret, said the father. The operation was a brilliant success, and a new person emerged. His talents blossomed into genius, and the school and college became a series of triumphs. Later, he married and entered the diplomatic service. But I must know, here's his father, who gave so much for me. I could never do enough for them. I do not believe you could, said the father, but the agreement was that you are not to know. Not yet. So the years kept their profound secret, but the day did come, one of the darkest days that a son must endure, he stood with his father over his mother's casket, slowly, tenderly. The father stretched forth a hand and raised the thick, reddish brown hair to reveal that the mother had no outer ears. Mother said that she was glad she never let her hair be cut, he whispered gently. And nobody ever thought mother less beautiful, did they? Some of us, especially parents, can understand that kind of love for a child. That willingness to give of ourselves so that their pain could be taken away. 
And as great as that kind of love would be, it is insignificant in light of the love that the Father has already demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.10 This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for us. The story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 demonstrates God's love. The son said to the father, I don't want to live with you anymore. And he, he takes his inheritance and leaves. And he goes, off, he goes to a far off land and he wastes his money and he wastes his life and lives in a way that would break his father's heart. And yet, in the story, we can see the father watching for his son, eager, longing for him to come home. And when the son returns, bankrupt physically and spiritually, the father expresses his joy in running to his son because his loving, watchful eyes have seen him coming from afar. It is only when we begin to understand the depth of Christ's love for us that we are motivated to respond in love. Perhaps that's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I don't think Paul is talking about something that happens in an instant. We grow into that grasp. An increasing realization of the love that God has shown us through Jesus Christ, His Son. I would tell you this morning that I believe that once we begin to explore the love of Jesus, once we begin to explore the depths of that love, then the, the love of God so grips us that we become highly motivated by it. We become, as Paul stated, in one of our scripture passages today, we become compelled by that love. Compelled. We can't help it. We don't have any option. We must. We're compelled by the love of God. And so being compelled by the love of God, we then are motivated to love others and share the love of Jesus with others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I I think again of that, Father, amazing love, oh, what sacrifice. The, The Son of God given for me. Father, when we really consider that, it's not only amazing, but 
in some ways to us it's unimaginable that you would do that for your enemies for your enemies for death row inmates in fact we were such a mess that when Jesus came he was not recognized for who he was Father, through, throughout the, the course of Scripture, we see how mankind has rejected your love. And then when you sent Jesus, your greatest act of love, he was rejected too. Oh, God. We pray with the Apostle Paul that we would know how high and deep and wide and long is your love shown to us through Jesus Christ. And as we have a growing understanding of that, oh God, it would motivate us. And we know we need to keep this in balance with who you are as a God to be feared, a God of holiness, a God of righteousness, a God of justice and judgment. And because we don't want anyone to experience that in the last day. We don't want anyone standing before you condemned because they've not chosen to accept Jesus and have their sins forgiven. Oh God, may your love motivate us to share the love of Christ with others. That's your call on us. It's a missional call. It's a high call. It's a call that takes commitment and courage and boldness, but we pray, Father, that because of who you are and because of how deeply you love us, that we would be motivated to love others for Jesus' sake. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that we've experienced that love in our lives and continue to experience it. And Father, may we revel in the love of Christ. But because we've experienced it, may there be no desire to be like some kind of sponge that just soaks it up, but may we be willing to be squeezed out in love for others. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today, for your presence, for your attentiveness. May God's grace and peace rest upon you as you go.